0: Hello everybody and welcome to Roar Lions Radio You're hearing an unfamiliar voice at the start of this podcast And that is because for some reason Bill's, uh, something about Bill Skype was not quite working tonight So this is Nick Pollock hosting tonight And I'm joined by one guest who's been on here before And one guest who is new to the show So let's start with the one who's been on here before And that would be our Roar Lions Roar football manager Matt DeBear Matt, how are we tonight?
1: Uh well, I'm upright and breathing after a week in state college, so uh no complaints here
0: that's always good. did you well- descri- describe your weekend um well, I woke up
1: really early Saturday morning and drove uh why well, didn't drove I rode in a uh old Penn State blue bus down to set up our tailgate and then uh spent the next several hours with the Alumni blue Band uh for Something resembling a, a music rehearsal, and then uh, of course at the game.
0: I I know you you know you do the alumni band every year. Does it? I don't know. Are you starting to get tired of it at all, or do you think you're going to keep doing it, or what?
1: I really kind of play year by year, and a lot of it depends on the schedule and you know kind of how it falls with everything else going on in my life. But the the best part about it is um, you know getting to watch the game with my buddies. Um, you know, we all for the most part, everyone that I was in the band with longer ago than I care to admit, Um, you know, tried to do it every year, and so it's kind of our one chance to, um, you know, watch a game together like like we used to back in school, so that, the the social aspect of it is probably the most enjoyable part, Um, you know, the the getting on the field and performing everything is still kind of cool, but, um, you know, the older we get and the busier we get in life, the the social aspect, and getting to see my buddies and, you know, spend a weekend together is, is the more appealing side of it for me, for sure. True, true.
0: And as much as I did, I I did look for you on the field. I don't think I found you. But as much as I would have enjoyed finding you, it's hard to beat the performance of Matt Freeman in terms of the alumni. But I'm sure you came close. Um, I didn't
1: fall over, which is really my my primary goal every year. There you go. That's a good goal. Uh,
0: So our other guest tonight is somebody who has been absolutely killing it. Uh, in terms of content, in terms of tweeting at the with the Roar, Lions Roar account, really just every every aspect of the website so far, he's been one of the people who's been instrumental in making it as awesome as it's been so far. So we're super 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 happy to finally have him on the podcast, and that would be Mr. Mike Treb. Mike, how are we tonight?
2: Nick, I'm good. Thanks for that that intro. Gosh, I mean, I, I <laughs> I'm gonna have to have my mom and dad listen to this. They are faithful readers of RoarLionsRoar.com, and so they'll be very excited. To uh, to hear such glowing words, thank you. It, it's real. It's it's fun to be a part of the site, and it's actually fun. I think this is the first time that I am talking to you and Matt in real life.
0: Oh, almost real life. Almost real life. We are still uh, on the internet, right? Like verbally, yes, verbally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I if yeah, if your parents are little readers, I, we have we have a a few different sets of uh, writers' parents who are site frequenters. I know. Uh, Dan's parents are on here a lot too so that's fun that's kind (laughs) of cool so obviously we are here tonight to discuss Penn State's thorough and intricate mauling of the Maryland Terrapins by a final of 38 to 14 Penn State uh, just completely dominated this game in every single facet uh, rushing for a Uh, A total of 372 yards, which I believe is the most rushing yards they've had in a decade. Saquon Barkley led the way with 202 yards, making for Penn State's first 200-yard rusher since Larry Johnson's 279-yard performance. On the flip side, they only gave up 170 Maryland rushing yards, which is big for a few reasons, but we'll get to that a little later. Trace McSorley led the passing attack, of course, completing 10 of 19 passes for 152 yards and two touchdowns. Not a huge day through the air for him, but he didn't really need to have a huge day through the air because alongside Saquon Barkley, McSorley ran for 81 yards, which is also including sacks. So take out those. I believe he had over 100 yards. DeAndre Tompkins led the receiving core with four catches for 91 yards and a touchdown, including the 70-yard beauty. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Brandon Smith, who is starting to look more and more like somebody who might have an inside track at a starting job next year, uh, accumulated 14 tackles, and then, of course, had the interception thanks to the Garrett Sickles uh, hit on Perry Hills, who uh, did have to leave this game for Maryland, so we'll get to that as well. And then, of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Koa Farmer's absolutely crushing hit uh, to lead to a turnover right after Penn State had a punt blocked. So overall, this was a truly, truly dominant effort by Penn State on both sides of the ball. Um, Really not anything to complain about. Um, And it's really hard to see anybody coming away from this game feeling anything but sky high. But... It's possible that some people don't quite feel that way, especially uh, after some of the losses that Penn State has had this year, whether it be the close loss to Pitt or the blowout loss to Michigan. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is how we feel compared, how we feel after this game compared to how we felt after the Michigan game. Obviously, two games with very different feels to them, um, but curious to hear if one of them maybe affected the other in your mind. So we'll start with Matt. How do you feel today? as compared to what you felt after the Michigan game?
1: Well, I think that's a pretty easy answer when you compare the two. Obviously, um, you know not just losing to Michigan, but the way it all went out, played out with just kind of the circumstances of the game and some decisions that were made um, that have been beaten to death. Um, I guess the most encouraging thing is, there's real tangible progress being seen. You know whether it's you know all the defensive stats that you mentioned, or Trace McSorley really seems to every week. Um, you know there's a couple of things you see whether it's um, running that read option play a little bit stronger, read, you know, reading the end correctly, whether to keep the ball or hand it off to Barkley or the other backs. Um, his pocket awareness really improving. Um, the emergence of DeAndre Tompkins you know week after week, seems to take another step um, with the big long pass reception for a touchdown on Saturday. Um, so I guess the the reason I'm feeling pretty confident, um, you know, aside from the big 24 point win in a game where Penn State I think was a two and a half point underdog at the time the uh, the game started after opening as a field goal favorite, I believe.
0: Still kicking myself for not putting money down before this one.
1: Gambling is bad, Nick. You made the, the right decision. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess the the overarching point being that. You're seeing a team that's getting better every week, and really from halftime on against Minnesota has really just felt like a different team. You know, I know they you know had the wins against Kent State and Kent State and Temple, um, you know, in the non-conference slate, but it just seems like everything's starting to come together. And of course, you know, in two weeks we're all going you know, to look ahead a little bit to the Ohio State game. Um, you know, I don't think anyone's terribly confident about a win, but I think there's a level of curiosity and you know to see how. How much the gap's been closed um, at that point in the four weeks since the Michigan game? Um, so I just I think the bye week's coming at a good time. Um, you know, come, going into it on a high, um, a chance to get uh, some some key players back healthy, hopefully, and uh, just continue to, to progress and uh, having that extra week to, to get healthy, feel good about yourself, and um, you know, study Ohio State a little intently. I think that's that's the optimistic thing after um, you know where we all were thinking this could all head um, really as, as recent as the end of the first half against Minnesota, you know, playing off the the full game at Michigan, you know, just there were six quarters of football that were not very good, and it really felt like things were really close to going off the rails. But to the coaching staff's credit, to the players' credit, um, they whatever was said or happened during that halftime against Minnesota last weekend, um, something's changed, and it's, you know, there's a real noticeable difference, just I guess in the way the team's gone about their business in the last last six quarters of football plus the overtime,
0: yeah, and in terms of perception, I know we talk about it a lot that uh kind of the feelings of people on the internet can change on the drop change with the drop of a hat um but i th- I think this is pretty clearly illustrates that I mean, after the Michigan game, there were people calling for Franklin's job right there. And now, right now, there's people talking themselves into, hey, we might be able to beat Ohio State. So, yeah. Don't do that. Don't talk Don't. yourself into beating Ohio State. <laughs> Don't do that. We'll have plenty of content about that on Rural Lions Roar in the next in the couple weeks leading up to that game. Um, but, Treb, how are you feeling after the Maryland game?
2: I feel really encouraged. Um, I, you know, Matt touched on a couple of different things there, but... This was really the first game from start to finish where you saw and you felt a confidence from this team. They had it in pieces in, you know, games leading up to here. You know, it's the, the second half in Pit. Um, you know, they, they really, there was a furious rally to come back and ultimately, you know, fell short. Um, you know, but and then it's been you know maybe a quarter here, a quarter there, the second half of Minnesota on into the overtime, but this was really where they put it all together, and I think that's really what the fan base has been looking for. I mean, I you know speak for myself, absolutely that's what I've been looking for. Um, you know, the thing that really stood out was, and I know that we've been waiting for this as as a site um, and as a fan base is Joe Moorhead. And he really came out. It looked like he had the plan, not to say that he doesn't have the plan in other games, prior games, but there was the execution. And you know, from from the blocking to the decision making, like Matt was talking about on the reads, you know, McSorley really stepped up on Saturday. And I I just I was really and, and continue to be really encouraged by how they went about just dismantling Maryland. I mean, it, it just, I, I think aside from that 66 yard screen pass for a touchdown, I, I, don't, I don't think there was any moment where you felt like, gosh, you know, is this really going to happen? You know, is Maryland really going to take this game away from Penn State? At least that was my takeaway.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, something interesting you mentioned there is uh, kind of the idea of Joe Moorhead really flexing his muscles in this one and I particularly for me I was the thing that kind of stood out to me was the the really the quick start to this one I know uh they gave up that screen pass touchdown but getting off with that uh, Mike Asiky touchdown right away I don't think we'd seen Penn State score on their opening drive since the uh Temple game with that Chris Godwin touchdown um and I'm curious to f- I've, I'll be curious to hear as the week and the bye week progresses what kind of impact the coaches think that this uh, chaos period they've been implementing in practice, if that had an effect on uh, the way they started this game, because we've clearly seen that Penn State has been a second-half team for the majority of the season, but on Saturday, they were a full-game team, and it was pretty damn cool to see what happens when this team is ready to go from the opening snap. So, I know that uh, the chaos period that they've been talking about in practice it wasn't necessarily the most successful thing in terms of execution it sounded like but it seems to have had a pretty big impact um, so kind of along similar lines uh, aside with uh, like thinking about the things how we feel after that Maryland game wh- I want to know what your biggest takeaways from this game are because there's definitely a lot um, and I know personally I'm not taking away too much too much because Maryland might not be that good <laughs> but, uh, Mike, what are you thinking? Like, what's the one thing that really stands out to you as being the one thing that you're going to take out of this game?
2: Uh, the defense. Uh, you know, it, under the microscope all year, I mean, just a catastrophic series of injuries. I mean, really almost comical what has occurred um, from the linebacking core to, you know, various players along the defensive front and the backfield Missing time, missing several games, just getting dinged up, Um, and the defense. Now again, you know we're talking about maybe Maryland is not that great, but we did know coming in that they had a pretty, pretty good running attack, and you know Penn State just smothered them on Saturday, and it was just. I I think it, it went back. It goes back again to what I was talking about with the confidence. That they that they exuded, that defense was really flying around on the field. I know it's a cliche, but they just were they were making big hits. You know, you have you have a guy like Malik Golden who has missed time, and and he he has a huge hit on Perry Hills, which I believe that was the hit that knocked him out of the game down in the red zone area.
0: I believe yep. so. Yeah, I
2: think that was Malik Golden. You know, then you have Marcus Allen just flying around uh, Brandon Smith with 14 tackles again this guy comes out of nowhere and I think we all kind of want to you know kind of rub our eyes and say okay is is this for real or is it just you know he's in situations where he's able to stuff some stats um, you know make a couple key plays there but you know part of me wonders I, is the guy just good and and nobody really knew it I, I I don't know but it's really nice to see the whole unit really step up um, again, they've been doubted all year and and for good reason, just because of the the injury situation primarily uh so to see them perform like they did on Saturday to me was the biggest takeaway
0: yeah, and you mentioned seeing them flying oh. around and it again it is a cliche but that's what they were doing. I mean, they they were all so clearly hyped up for this game. They were all so ready to go. Specifically Marcus Allen, a guy from Maryland, a guy who kind of understands what it means to beat this team. Uh, but you put it perfectly. I mean, they every single play, they were hyped. Like, after Marcus Allen stopped that one-fourth down, he was celebrating at midfield. I mean, they were they were going nuts the whole game. It was fun to see. Uh, Matt, how about you? What was your biggest takeaway from this game?
1: I think to kind of play off what, what Mike was saying is... The the confidence, especially from the defense, but just really as a team, the team as a whole. You said something um, kind of, I think it might even meant been during the Minnesota game or right after, you know, in our Slack, um, you know, a little behind the scenes here, how we coordinate everything for the site. And we start talking football and everything. And I think Nick mentioned that this team really shows its youth by how emotional they play. Um, you know, they the, the big moments, you know, really seem to get them going. And when something goes wrong, it really affects you know the team it brings the team down with it um you know and you know we saw it snowball early against pitt and we saw it snowball out of control against michigan in the first half against minnesota but then when they hit that long pass pay to play to charles all of a sudden it woke everyone up and you know the defense responded the offense you know got you finally got into a rhythm and i guess you saw that on saturday you know they got off to the great start you know went right down the field and scored and really could were able to do whatever they wanted um but then when Maryland responded with with the touchdown, I think it was on the next drive, um, and then they had the, the pass interference call that took back what was likely going to set up a, at least a field goal, not a touchdown for Penn State on the long catch and run for Gesicki that got called back on the offensive pass interference. But every time it felt like Maryland might be sneaking their way back in, um, you know, after the blocked punt that set up the short field, the, you know, the next snap, Core Farmer comes around untouched and force in the strip sack on on the quarterback, and they just never really felt like they let the momentum of the game or the emotion of the game get to them one way or another. You know, they never got too high, they never got too low, um, which I think is a huge credit to the coaching staff um, for keeping them grounded or you know coaching them up, get getting them going when things didn't didn't play out the way they they were going to or they expected them to or they wanted them to. Um, and I really think that translated into what Mike said with the defense flying around and guys like koa farmer or brandon smith or i thought um john reid had a really really good game under the radar um which is kind of what you want from a, a lockdown cornerback like him but he made up you know was flying around making tackles which is really what you need from a cornerback with the type of offense that that maryland was running especially once the backup quarterback came in uh I, I really thought it was just a real confident game all around against a team that we don't really know how good they are um you know i put up some monster stats and four wins, but against who they really played. Um, but I think, you know, with all that said, with how, how they didn't let the emotion of the game get to them, I think be, that's still going to be a factor. The team's so young where you're going to see those those highs and lows and the highs and lows affecting the play on the field. But I think going into this two-week layoff and into the, the biggest marquee home game of the year against Ohio State... Um, that's certainly a, a good thing to go into it with. Everyone just, you know, it was a big win, it was a 24-point win. Um, I know we're going to talk about it later, but you know, the, you know, where it ranks in the the history of James Franklin in two and a half seasons at Penn State. Um, but you know, one of the most complete football games we've seen Penn State play since pr- maybe even that the Wisconsin game to end the 2013 season. Um, to, and you got in the way it happened. Just it played out in a really confident manner in a really Thorough manner everyone everyone played well you really if there's one blip it was the block punt but um you know after that and uh Pasquarello came and kicked the ball really well there really wasn't a weak link anywhere on the field and I think that's that's the most encouraging thing is just kind of how it all played out
0: yeah definitely uh I know for me personally the biggest takeaway for me was that seeing that this offense can dominate in a different way than we've seen already. Uh, We know what the passing game can do. We know what Trace McSorley can do if he has time to throw the ball. Uh, We've known what these receivers can do for some time now. Uh, But we hadn't really seen Saquon Barkley really get going this year yet, and that wasn't really something on him. That was more on the offensive line not getting a great push in the run game. But on Saturday, even when Maryland knew exactly what was coming, they still bullied them off the ball, which I thought was huge. And then just the continued development of Trace McSorley in terms of the read option. Uh, we saw against Maryland that he was, even even from the first half to the second half, we saw a big improvement on him in terms of his decision-making and with that particular play. And I think this Saturday we saw his peak so far. That's not to say it can't get better, so maybe peak isn't exactly the right word. But we saw him at his best and with uh, kind of the play that is the barometer for the entire offense. Because if that read option play is working, then everything about the Joe Moorhead offense is that much more dangerous. So on the flip side, and honestly there may not even be an answer for this, I think I have one. um, But does anybody have any negative takeaways from this game? I mean it's it's hard to find one Penn State dominated in first downs they dominated in total yards they dominate obviously dominated in rushing yards uh they dominated time of possession they won the turnover battle um so we'll start with you, Matt. Do you have any negative takeaways from this game?
1: Well, I think the you know I, and it's not really anything that anyone did or didn't do It's you know the injury to Andrew nelson you know um I think Franklin confirmed yesterday after the game he was out he's out for the season, which isn't terribly surprising given the way the injury happened it was kind of right in front of where the the alumni band was sitting, um, so I think that's that's a, a concern. Um, you know, anytime you know, the, the line hasn't been you know altogether dominant this year, but they've been better and they've gotten they've improved as the year gone has gone on, and I think they've they've really done it with you know for a couple games now a set group of five, and so you're seeing that shuffle now with uh, Brendan Mann moving to the, the right side. Um, and Paris Palmer coming on the left side. I thought Palmer played well yesterday in the limited action he saw, but it's still, um, especially going into a game in two weeks against a team like Ohio State, not exactly the the ideal time to need to be shuffling things around on a unit that was just starting to kind of come together a little bit. Um, So that's probably the the biggest one. Um, The only other thing I might add is just... Uh, the, the turnover you know the Saquon Barkley fumbled. There were a couple chances, um, to put up, you know, scores again yesterday, um, that just weren't taken advantage of. And this is, this is really nitpicking and probably even more extreme than that. But as you go into games against better teams, not even talking about just Ohio state, but, um, you know, Iowa is still on the schedule. Uh, Indiana in Bloomington is a dangerous game. Michigan state might be, but that's a whole nother discussion. um, this team still isn't, hasn't shown it's good enough consistently enough to not make mistakes like that in key times and overcome them against better opposition. So, and I think that's something that's, that will probably come with more time. It's like we've said a thousand times, this is still a really young team, and uh, you know those things will get better. But if you're looking for anything that you would even legitimately call a concern, that might be a place to start just because um, of what's still left on the schedule.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then to go back to what you said about Nelson real quick, I was really, really interested in the fact that when Nelson went down with the injury, rather than bringing in uh, a guy like Noah Bay uh, at left tackle, that they moved Mann over to the right side and brought, brought Palmer in. I thought that was really, really interesting personally. Because, I, I mean, Mann's, aside from a couple strip sacks he led up in the first two games, he's been a pretty outstanding left tackle for the most part. So I think that kind of speaks to, I think that kind of speaks to the way Joe Moorhead and Matt Limegraver kind of view the offense. Because like having a blind, a good blindside blocker is great, but it's it's interesting to me that they are willing to move the guy who seemed like their best offensive lineman over to the right side. I don't know. That might just be me, but uh, Mike, how about you? Is there anything that you take away from this game in a negative sense?
2: Um, not really for Penn State. I think Matt hit on probably the biggest thing the injury to nelson is you know really unfortunate it seems like more than anything i think we've we've kind of had side discussions on this too nelson maybe having a so so year not so great but it seems like a glue guy uh you know just very well respected by teammates um you certainly saw that when um i mean it seemed like the entire bench emptied to come over to the cart when he was when he was getting um, uh, sent off the field, yeah, uh, you, you just you hate to see that. Um, but you know, certainly, it's now an opportunity for for some of these other players now to, to to step in and with the team getting momentum. So my my negative that I'll take away is more something that Penn State didn't do, and it's it's actually it's what's being perpetrated on our guy Joey Julius. I know there's been a lot of discussion, but I just I I had to say this because. I find it really ridiculous what some of these players are doing um, you know on Minnesota on Maryland, where they are so mad they are so mad that a kicker wants to run down the field and make a tackle and possibly put you on a highlight reel <laughs> that they are result you know they, they they are having to illegally hit the guy you know constantly and and, and part- it's partly funny to me um, just because how mad they get about it uh, and, and obviously the consequences that occur. You know, two guys getting tossed two straight weeks, two coaches having – two head coaches having to say after the game, that's not who we are as a team, as a program. Um, it, it's just a really interesting dichotomy. And, then, you know, you add to it then, um, you know, what Julius is going through right now and how, you know, we covered it extensively on the site uh, last week, just about, you know, his own courage and, uh, you know, struggling with an eating disorder, getting that treated, and that's something that he's gonna, you know, that's not you treat it and it's and it's gone and you move on. You know, that's something that, um, you know, he's got to continue to to treat and 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 be aware of and and everything that comes with that and the courage that he has to put that out publicly. When you know there's all these jokes, of, oh you know, and and listen, I think I I'm guilty of it. There are, there are many people that were guilty of it prior to any knowledge of oh here, here look at the fat kicker running down the field making a big hit. You know, it's it's funny, but I think for on our end too, it's kind of exciting. You know, we like having a kicker. I, I don't think since uh, David Kimball. Uh, uh, backflipped the Nebraska returner in 2002 um, you know we, we, we've seen some hits that big on kickoffs so um, you know it, it, it's all I was thinking about this earlier today and it's just all coming together for me it's like here's a 21 year old kid just out there playing having fun putting himself out there and and you know then he's he has his own personal struggle and he's trying to help people with that too and then you have these players that you know, and I, I'm not going to say that they know what's going on, um, uh, but you know, the, just the headhunting of him, and then some of the the, the vitriol on, on social media, where it's you know we're we're saying leave Joey Julius alone, and, and you got people just hammering the kid, and it, it's just you know I know we've we've gone through this too in the program with Sam Ficken's struggles a couple years ago, and and just the, the nasty stuff that gets sent to, to to him on social media and the, I, it's a negative. It's not a Penn state negative. It's more of a, you know, kind of a college football negative there. And I, and I really hope that it doesn't, you know, going forward become too much of a focus, um, where it's like, you know, okay, what's going to happen to Joey Julius now? I just want the, the kid to go out there, kick the ball, maybe make a tackle and, and, and have fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the thing that was especially interesting to me, uh, over these last two ejections. The Minnesota kid, he the second he hit him as he walking as he was walking away, he looked he looked like he knew exactly what he did. Like he saw the flags fly, put his arms up whatever, but when he got ejected, he didn't argue. He didn't do anything. He just walked straight out. The Maryland kid when he got ejected, he looked legitimately distraught. Like it it, it was almost as if he didn't realize what he was doing. Like I don't I, I, I don't understand how you could accidentally do something like that. Um, I don't – it was such a strange – it was a really strange moment for me watching because, like, like, you have to you, – you, I mean, even if the play was there, like, he, he could clearly tell there was no one else around. Even if the returner had still been on his feet somehow, they were 40 yards off the ball. Like, I don't – I don't know. It was a strange play for me. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess you could say that uh, – those those kids getting ejected after hitting Julius is kind of like what would it be what would it be like if people who tweeted at Joey Julius calling him fat and things like that were then booted off Twitter. So, I guess in a way it's <laughs> karma paying it forward somehow. That's a good point, yes. Yeah. Um so again, we've I'm sure some of these names have been mentioned already, but uh Matt, who is your MVP for this game? Um
1: there's so, so many options. Obviously, Saquon Barkley had the big numbers. Um, Trace McSorley had had the big day. I mentioned him earlier, um, and it, I don't even know if it qualifies as MVP. I was just so impressed with, with John Reed's game yesterday. Um, I guess by the time this goes up on the site, it'll be on Saturday, but we're recording this Sunday night. Um, he did, like I said, he just kind of found himself in positions where he – made plays that he necessarily or not necessarily had made up to that point um over the last year and a half since he came into the program. Just you know, stepped up, made big tackles. Um on the couple chances he was challenged um, you know, in coverage, he was there to make the play. I just thought he for the first time in memory at least, he made he, he the plays he made were very noticeable and came at, at key moments. Um I know everyone's thought Cole Farmer played very well which I certainly agree with. Um, like I said earlier there's so many guys played very well that it's hard to pick out that that one performance that you know was was the most important or most valuable. But I'll, I'll go with John Reed I think just because um the, the types of plays he made um weren't ones that were being made earlier in his career and it was great to see you know a really good player take that next step and you know have some some results to show for
0: it. Yeah. Mike, how about you?
2: I I have to agree with John Reed. Um, you know, I would I would I, I would say Koa Farmer too, just because this was kind of his his coming out party. Um, you know, in a huge huge moment, like you mentioned, that was a big momentum swing. His his sack fumble. Um, John Reed was really impressive because of his ability to blow up screens. He, he had a really nice tackle. It was a, I believe it was a crossing play um, at one point in the game. And if he doesn't make that tackle, who knows how long that gain is. And then he also broke up a deep ball, too. I, I just remember watching it live and thinking, this is, this is the game where we, we've, been, we've been waiting for this uh, from John Reed. Now, he's kind of flashed his, his overall abilities, but more on the punt return side. So defensively, his play, you know, fitting in then with the overall defenses play, I, I, I just I feel like he really stood out.
0: Yeah, and that deep ball that you mentioned, he was able to do something on that play that something that so many college defensive backs are not able to do, and it was that he turned his head around with maybe about I don't know, like half a second. Before the ball landed down, but because he turned his head, if he hadn't, it would have been an easy pass interference call. But because he turned his head and was looking at the ball when it was up there, there the official never even had a choice. Like there was no way he could have thrown a flag on the play. That's just like the kind of savvy and just experienced play that I mean, frankly, we saw from John Reed in high school. Uh, I know Matt and I uh, when Matt was covering recruiting a little more closely rather than being the overall football manager when he and I were kind of spearheading recruiting at BSD um, he we just lauded lauded after John Reed as a corner like he had such advanced footwork at such a young age he knew exactly how to mirror wide receivers everything and I think we're really starting to see that now at the collegiate level which is really really cool to see Um, and then for me for my MVP it's kind of a cop-out, but I'm going to just say the offensive line, um, just for the run blocking, because I've been waiting to see this, and guys like Ryan Bates really stepped up, and then specifically on the uh, Saquon Barkley touchdown run uh, right before halftime, I forget who tweeted this out right now, but they highlighted that Connor McGovern on that play, uh, Brian Guy whiffed on his man, Connor McGovern managed to block the guy in front of him chip on the guy that Gaia didn't block and then get out in the second level and just toss a linebacker to the ground. So on that one play, Connor McGovern, a true freshman, he didn't enroll, enroll early, but still a true freshman, managed to block three different collegiate level players and spring Saquon Barkley. So I thought that was pretty incredible.
2: That was good. That was actually, that was a Sam Cooper. From That's the who it was. It was Cooper.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that we'll actually be covering in a, a key play breakdown, so look for that soon. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it for this game. I mean, Penn State, again, just a thorough, thorough demolition. And that kind of leads us to asking the question of, was this Penn State's best win of the James Franklin era? Mike, what do you think? Oh,
2: You know, it, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking about this, and... <laughs> It's equal parts true and sad. I think um, <laughs> you know we we, we I, you know again the the fans. The, there's a lot of discussion. We've we've talked about it about the need for Franklin to have kind of that signature win, and certainly it has not come against the likes of the Buckeyes, the Wolverines, the Spartans. It's it's been tough for him. Um, so you know, if if this isn't the signature win, the you know maybe the best, most complete win of of his era at Penn State, I I think that I'd have to go back to because it what it what it meant at the time was the Pinstripe Bowl, and you know just uh, again all of the circumstances surrounding that, and it was it wasn't even. It wasn't even a great game, but what you saw then were the flashes of what was to come, and that that, I believe that was the game where Chris Godwin just really broke out. Mm -hmm. You started to see, okay, wow, this guy, this guy has something, And 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 I think you know at least my hope going into the, the 2015 season was that they were going to carry that through. And we all know how that started with the you know a, a big thud against Temple. but at the time, and I still think e- even now knowing how the season played out, I think that is if it's not the biggest, it's certainly, I would say number two um, on the list for Franklin. but again, it's it's kind of it's tough to really pick one out I, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I It, it kind of depends on how you define uh, best win or biggest win, uh, because in terms of just overall performance, I think it's hard to argue against this game. Uh, but Matt, what do you think?
1: Well, when you briefly ran me through the overall schedule for the podcast tonight, since I'm in the literal last-second replacement for Bill, I had to pull up the schedule from 2014 and 2015 just to kind of remind myself what had happened, because a lot of bad football happened and I blocked large portions of it from memory. Um, the one that jumps out that might be for different reasons, but might be in that same ballpark was the win against UCF and um, James's first game um, over in Ireland, just kind of because of how it played out. The last second field goal, the, um, you know, the first game overseas, there have been a, so much momentum up to that point with, recruiting, and just so much positive energy and to see the, the comeback win. It kind of was you know, a, a big moment for the program. Again, not, not necessarily a great game or terribly well played in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but the other one I've seen mentioned today, and I'm going to give um, Sean Fitz from Lions247 some credit here because I saw this on Twitter earlier from him. Um, but the Illinois game last year with the 39 nothing win was mentioned as another one that's kind of in that same ballpark, even though it wasn't, you know, Obviously, it was a a bad Illinois team. But it was a bad Illinois team playing for an interim coach. And I honestly don't remember a whole lot about the game. But um, just the way that yesterday played out. And again, we don't know how good Maryland is this year. Um, There's certainly a lot of questions that will be answered on that as the remaining two months or so of the season plays out. But they did what a team that is good is supposed to do to a team that might not be that good. Um, so it, it, at the very least they beat up a team the way you're supposed to beat up a bad team at best they dominate a team that is pretty good and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and that's what we'll find out over the next six or seven games but I would say just from an overall performance standpoint it's probably the best win um, it's like we've said a, a couple times already everything just went really well You know, with the one exception of you know, the Nelson injury, not really a, a gameplay sort of thing, but the blocked punt was really the only, only negative. You know, even taking the, the long touchdown on the screen pass was kind of a, a busted play where Hillis brought some time and found the receiver and, you know, a couple blocks sprung him. Everyone just kind of really played really well, and I'm not sure even in some of those other big wins you can say the same thing, um, that it was a real overall solid team effort.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, when I think about all the games from the last few years, uh, there's definitely a small group of them that stand out. You guys mentioned two of them. Last year's Illinois game, uh, that 39 nothing win was definitely a big one. Uh, when I initially thought about this question, my first answer was the Pinstripe Bowl, um, and I, I, I do think that is still, I think, the biggest win of the Franklin era um as mike mentioned just all the circumstances surrounding it uh i think an under the radar one was that san diego state win last year um just because of the fact that san diego state actually turned out to be a pretty good team um and people kind of forgot that and even though the score even though the score line was 37-21 it wasn't so it wasn't a complete destruction but penn state was very very clearly the better team that day so i think that's kind of an under the radar one but in, again, yeah, in terms of just overall performance on offense and defense, I think this has to be the best one. As Bill Connolly said, of, as Bill Connolly of the Football Outsiders, uh, he said that this was just a thorough dismantling of a pretty decent Maryland team. And I think, I think he's right. I mean, a lot of people will say that, oh, this wasn't a real Maryland team after Perry Hills went out. Well, Perry Hills really hadn't done all that much in the game to that point. So I don't I don't know exactly how valid it is I mean certainly better than uh, Pigrom if I'm pronouncing that correctly um, although Pigrome might be a better rusher I'm not int- I haven't seen enough of either I haven't seen enough of Pigrom to really say that uh, with any confidence but I think it's hard to argue against this one as being the best overall uh, performance um, and with that I think we can now officially close the book on the penn state maryland win pushing penn state to four and two overall two and one in conference that's a pretty good way to end this weekend do you guys have any any games uh from this past weekend other than the penn state game you want to touch on real quick
1: i i think we have to mention the michigan rutgers game (laughs) For, for so many reasons um i actually was more interested in watching that game than the Florida State Miami game for large portions of Saturday night,
0: yeah, same
1: in the in the way that you can't look away from a train crash or some sort of horrible event that you pass on the road or whatever it might be it, I, I I can't even comprehend that Rutgers didn't have a first down in like fifty one minutes of football. I, I don't even remember who it was. Oh, it was. I was hanging with my, my buddies this, on Sun, Sunday morning before heading on the road back home from, from Pennsylvania. And we theorized that we could put our group of friends together and luck into a, a first down against Michigan's defense. And while that may not be true, we would have had the same success rate that Rutgers did for a large portion of that game. Um, I think at one point in the fourth quarter, they had negative yards of offense I get it. Michigan is a very good team, but this was like watching one of those, like SEC mid-November non-conference games that they throw in there to break up the the SEC conference schedule. When you have like Alabama playing like North Texas A and T State, <laughs> and it was just. It, but this was a Big Ten game, allegedly. It, like, I can't wrap my head around a a major conference team losing a conference game in that manner. You know, not just the score, but just the six hundred yards to was it thirty nine or thirty one or something like that. Just it's <laughs> the, the numbers are just are absolutely mind blowing in terms of how ridiculous it was
0: I think my next Photoshop project is going to be creating what a Jabril Peppers tackle of you would look like. Because boy would I want to see that. Uh, honestly I kinda do too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, it would be an honor to be tackled by Jabril Peppers.
0: I, Trev, might, have, I, I oh. might go hang
1: out in Ann Arbor uh, 20 minutes <laughs> away just to see if that can happen.
0: <laughs> Trev, how about you? Were there any games that kind of caught your eye?
1: Uh, yeah, they uh, caught my eye
2: for different reasons. I was kind of in a fog after you know the, the, the Maryland destruction. You know, It was a euphoric fog, but I ended up watching Purdue, Illinois, and it was the yes uh, yes that one got a little silly at the end and, and, and i mean to be honest um i was kind of in and out with it but that one was 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 pretty wild and then just you know score watching Iowa Minnesota you know it was that classic big 10 game that uh, you know quite honestly i I'm probably one of those people where I'm like, oh, here we go, you know, more stereotypical Big Ten jokes. We're punting, oh, uh, we're scoring, you know, seven. It's seven three to win, but that game was one of those games that I can't really, I, I you know, I, I can't really uh, dump on that on that stereotype, um, you know, and then yeah, certainly the the eye popping nature of what happened with Rutgers. I think I saw uh, there there was. A, I was watching the crawl this morning, and I think I saw their Rutgers starting quarterback was one for eight for six yards, and that was you know that was like the lead stat. And I, just, I just thought you know that's that, that that's really tough for them. I, I I feel I feel bad. They were trying to strike the birthplace, and it just they, they were they were hosting.
1: What was it? How many recruits did they have? It was like two hundred or two hundred and fifty. Yeah, see. I mean, <laughs> I saw, I saw a great line. I can't remember where it was, but it was. I can't believe Rutgers invited two hundred recruits to watch a snuff film.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it just—you uh, you might as well have just like put them in a room and turn off the lights. I mean, I think they would have been more entertained than what they saw. That must have been horrifying. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I feel, I feel bad for them.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, quite honestly, uh, it, it's—I I don't want to bang on Rutgers too much because Michigan really, you know, brained us <laughs> in, in our own right. I, it, certainly, we're we're better than Rutgers, um, but yeah, I—I'm I, I, a little empathetic. Uh, Michigan is is very good.
0: Yeah, it's hard not to be empathetic after watching that. Sure. Um, really quickly for that Purdue-Illinois game because I was also watching that at the (laughs) edge of my seat. We are a Um, sick group of people. (laughs) uh, If you didn't watch that game, just so you know Illinois, so Purdue was driving down the field with a chance to win in regulation um, and threw an interception and then Illinois lined up for the game winning field goal with a field goal kicker who had not missed this season. Not a field goal or an extra point. Daryl Hazel or Hazel, Hazel, sorry. Hazel. Hazel. Who am I? Hazel uh, proceeded to call all three timeouts in succession, which <laughs> I thought was illegal, but apparently is not. Um, called all three timeouts to ice him, while Lovey Smith stayed on the other, other side of the line and was like, laughing to himself like, oh, this, guy, this guy's an idiot. Then what does the Illinois kicker do? Doinks it off the field goal goalpost, just like what <laughs> happened in the Penn State game, uh, however many years ago that was. Uh, and then Illinois proceeded to fumble in OT, and Purdue kicked the game-winning field goal. And it was—I've never—I don't think I'll ever be as happy about a Purdue win as I was about that one. Like I was watching it in my girlfriend's brother's apartment, and his friends were looking at me like, "On it! Like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you oh. cheering this much for <laughs> Purdue?" And I was like, "How can you not? Look at what's happening!" Uh, that alone
2: other... <laughs> should—that that should get Daryl an extension. That that. <laughs> Yeah, give give him a one year extension at least.
1: I, I don't I don't think there's a better way for a Purdue Illinois football game to end than that whole sequence of events. It was like that, so that that's
0: that's so perfect. It was so beautiful. Um, <laughs> I I, will,
1: I do want to add really quickly that the oh, yeah. uh, the, the Florida State Miami game was really fun. Um, just you know, hard hitting and, and really high level football. And then there's the complete insanity of the last however many minutes of the Texas A&M-Tennessee game, yes. which should put to rest for like at least another day or two how great SEC defenses and, and whatnot are because there was not a whole lot of, of defense or anything resembling it being played in the last you know, quarter and overtime in, in College Station.
0: And we will mention uh, thoughts and prayers out to, I uh, forget his first name, but his last name was O'Brien, on Tennessee. Uh, took a vicious, vicious hit, and, well, I don't remember exactly what the play was, but uh, was down for a while, had to leave on a stretcher, completely wrapped up, uh, but I did read that he was moving all four extremities, so good news there. Um, the other two games really quick that I wa- was watching were the Washington-Oregon games and the Washington State-Stanford game. Uh, the Washington-Oregon game, because Washington hasn't beaten Oregon in... Uh, Twelve a years, lot of, A lot of years, 12 years. Um, and they just stomped on them 70-21, so that's really cool. And then uh, my mom's alma mater, and the only team I ever rooted for before Penn State, Washington State, just annihilated Stanford, 42-16. I watched that entire game, and it was mwah, beautiful. Um, and with that, that brings us to the end of today's show. Uh, so please, 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 please uh subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us by typing in uh Roar Lions Radio or you can look on RoarLionsRoar.com and find the post that this podcast is in and there's a link right there for you. Um if you are already if you are already subscribed, please leave us a star review um, and a written review if you can as well. All those things help us to get in ears of more listeners. Um, and frankly there's a lot of people who need to hear our voices, so please do that. Uh, we can also be found on Google Play. You can find us uh, directly on SoundCloud. Please follow us on Twitter at RLRBlog. Um. You can also follow our recruiting account, which I promise we are trying to use more. It's hard to balance this many accounts. Um, Follow us on Instagram at RoarlinesRoar. Follow us on Facebook at RoarlinesRoar. Share things that we do well because they're awesome and we want more people to see them. And then also, please visit our store and buy some shirts. They're very, very soft and very comfortable. And uh, I'm giving you a little bit of a sneak peek here, but there will be a sale this week. Um, so please look for that on the website. Uh, You'll get details on what promo code to enter to get some money off of some shirts, and if you are lucky, you might even see something new coming in the store soon that we're pretty excited about. Uh, So that's all we have tonight. So from Nick, for Mike, and for Matt, thank you for listening, and go state.